0: From the makers of Sinbad, Columbia Pictures presents Jason and the Argonauts The mightiest band of warriors the world has ever known Turn back, Jason! we trapped! Sailing to the ends of the earth, battling against an incredible number of obstacles Where will you find this miracle? I have heard there is a tree at the end of the world fleece of gold hanging in its branches. In search of the fabulous magic golden fleece,
1: Jason and the Argonauts. Welcome to Troughton Worth Watching, where at the end of a season of Doctor Who, we celebrate the actor by watching one of his films. Today, we're watching the pre-Who 1963 film, Jason and the Argonauts. I'm your host, and I want my co-host to know that I will fight the hardest at his death penalty trial. (laughs) (laughs) My co-host is Guy, who is allowed to make five comments during this episode. woo <laughs> That's one. <laughs> so, uh, wow, this movie. This It's hard to express how much impact this film has had on my life and what we're doing in the last couple of years. So, you know, I get... When working on a project, I go way overboard and get really intense and, and do all this stuff. So when we started this podcast... I was looking years ahead to, oh, what movies should we be watching for the different doctors and everything, right? And uh, one of the things about Patrick Troughton was he saw on the TV show we watched, The Invisible Man, is that he never really played like the main character or anything, right? He's always kind of a, you know, character actor, side character. So it's, it's hmm. you know, you have to find something where he's in it enough that it represents him, but it's it can be a bit of a challenge. Well, so I was looking at the different movies he's been in and ended up uh, watching this. And this – I mean, I was already very familiar with Ray Harryhausen and Stop Motion and everything. But it, it reignited my interest in that. And then we were watching the reconstructions of that, uh, like, 15-episode uh, – was it, Dalek's uh, Master Plan, I think. Mm-hmm. And – the people who did one of the reconstructions like rearranged things and it made the story not make sense and it was very confusing and I got annoyed and then I this gave me the idea of like oh why don't we do like a stop motion you know recreation of this story right and so we have released a little film on our on our worth watching channel which is not a Doctor Who film but it's a fun little. Lego uh animation film. We've done a whole episode of Marco Polo, which will maybe never be seen, but uh we're gonna <laughs> move forward. But basically, as a result of watching this film and where it took me, um, like i, I now am into Lego, which I never did before. i now doing animation, we're doing this stuff. Like everything I'm doing all day long <laughs> is kind of a result of having watched this film. <laughs> <laughs> We can talk about some of why that is as as we go through it. Now, do you what's your familiarity
0: with like Ray Harryhausen, for example? Well, Ray Harryhausen I knew the name a lot just because I've over the years read a lot about movies or, you know, seen little little specials on tv like how uh you know special effects for star wars or whatever you know back in the Mm -hmm. back in the 80s or then i'd watch a lot of that kind of thing whenever it was available so you know that his name got dropped a lot especially when stop motion came into the picture um although stop motion if i remember right what stop motion was the wasn't the only trick he had up his sleeve if i if i remember right he did like the Spaceships and War of the Worlds. I mean, he did various things. I could be wrong about that, but I think he did. Well, he did. Hmm. The the version wrote... that had like the uh, cool-looking ships with the little street lamp eye that came out of them. I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember reading that he did those effects, too. Anyway, I had heard the name enough that I remembered the name, and uh, I had seen this movie. Uh, and seen the skeleton battle and all that. So the, then I'd see clips of the skeleton battle, and I'd be like, "Oh, I vaguely remember seeing that sometime in the past."
1: Well, yeah, you might be. Maybe, so here's the deal. I mean, but there there's stuff here. So Harryhausen tried to worked on. And actually, I didn't know about this, but just doing some quick searching, he wanted to do War of the Worlds, and apparently oh. that never came through. But he did do a movie called Earth versus the Flying Saucers uh uh-huh. um, and, uh, and that was interesting because he, you know, used some different techniques and, and everything. So, uh, so yeah, there's sort of <laughs> there's stuff there. Well, and I gotta say when I did watch this movie in preparation for seeing if it would be our Troughton movie, when I was a kid, I remembered a little bit, I think I saw it maybe even in the theater. I remember the skeleton fight, which is very famous at the end. But I went in, even with my memory, thinking, okay, this is going to be cheesy, right? Mm. And one of the things that just blew me away, and, you know, we'll get there, but especially in the first major um, special effects thing, is it was not cheesy at all. It was extremely well done and, and you know, stood up today totally and trying to understand how, so today, like when I'm doing stop motion, I have software and apps and you know, special cameras and everything that, you know, I can see exactly what I just took a picture of and and et cetera. When he did it, there was none of that, right? You just had a camera and film that would take like a couple weeks to get developed. So Mm. when you move something a tiny fraction of an inch and then another tiny fraction of an inch and then another tiny, he had no real way to know what it looked like. And so... He just did it. And and what we see, like, as we'll get into here, I mean, the the animation is so incredibly smooth and everything for not having all those things. Now, I think that they—I don't know if he used this. I know that people doing stop-motion animation, you know, sort of pre-software—and and this is true in the Star Wars uh, films, especially Empire Strikes Back—they would—they had these metal armature things where— they would be able to sort of put a a little metal pin at each point where a character's body was so that they could see um where it had been the last time right and then mm. and then move the pins a little bit or whatever but it's very uh, still very laborious um oh, yeah. and the quality i mean of what he achieved and we'll talk about it as we get through and you know there's different Different levels of quality in this film, different things they're able to accomplish, but I just think it's amazing. And I think this film is sort of considered Harryhausen's, you know, real masterpiece.
2: Hmm.
0: I saw this movie a long time ago, but I didn't have, you know, I had a sort of vague fondness for it, you know, Mm because there was cool stuff in it, but uh, no real strong connection to it, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, I think each time I watch it, I I like it more. So we'll talk about of so that as yeah. we we go along. So okay, uh, we start with a nice old fashioned credit sequence. So there's this sort of you know hand drawn background of cave style paintings with mythological scenes. It's really nicely done. You know, and the camera's moving along it as the credits go on. So you're seeing, like, you know, classic monsters and, and battle yeah, scenes I, and all this sort of I'd thing. see,
0: they're not so much cave paintings yeah. as, like, Greek, uh, I don't know, frescoes or yeah. whatever, yeah. there. Yeah. And,
1: well, that's true. And uh, one thing I noticed on this is that Ray Harryhausen gets a special, very prominent credit as associate producer. So, you know, And then it says, you know, creator of the special effects. But I I think what it was recognizing is that one of the things that was different about Harryhausen is he didn't just come onto a film and do his part, right? Do the stop motion or whatever. He was involved in the entire film. He would be on set for everything because he understood that he couldn't know exactly what he needed to do in terms of special effects if he wasn't there to see what was going on and also to give input on it, right? Because he had to blend all this stuff together and so he took a very and he was very much a big part of the creative aspect of of the film so uh you know so it's nice to see that he got a got a big credit in fact one of the things that's interesting right is with films like this right some other guy directed it nobody knows that person's name they think of this as a Ray Harryhausen film as with several (laughs) other films he was involved in right because he's so clearly defined sort of the the feel of the film we also have music by Bernard Herman, so that's a nice catch. <laughs>
2: hmm.
1: And, I mean, you know, this was a relatively low-budget, theoretically cheesy film at the time, so Bernard Herrmann, I don't know where he was in his career, but, you know, he did all the Hitchcock stuff and everything, so mm-hmm. it was a pretty big deal. And so the first actual shot of the film, uh, really nicely composed, it's this coastal shot, so we're seeing, you know, in Italy or something somewhere, right, the water and the coast, and we have this very classic greek soldier standing there in profile so he has that kind of mohawk thingy and a spear so uh definitely sets the tone and then an older man walks past him carrying a smoking pot and it turns out this pot is generating ashes so that he can predict the future for pelias who is uh planning to an attack tonight to take over as the king of greece and uh he naturally probably a little bit late wants to know how it's going to go i mean it might have been helpful for him to ask a little earlier, you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so the thing is, this is kind of funny. So the older guy, you know, pulls out these ashes and asks Zeus to enchant them so he can see the future. And then he starts going on about some irrelevant golden fleece hanging on a tree at the end of the world. <laughs> and, uh, uh, is like, yeah, I don't care about your golden fleece thingy. I just want to know how <laughs> tonight's going to go. <laughs> And the older man tells Pelias that he will conquer tonight and get the crown because that's what Zeus wants. And Pelias is happy to hear that Zeus is supporting him. So he takes his sword and he puts it on the fire as an offering because he's not going to need it if if Zeus is supporting him. And, which immediately reminded me of the, you know, the this. Well, I don't know if it's a biblical story. The story about the guy stuck on the roof, you know, in a flood and. And someone comes along in a boat oh, and yeah, offers the to take old him, joke, and, then, yeah. and the <laughs> helicopter comes oh. along and all that. And he refused them all because God's going to take care of him. And then he dies and goes to heaven. He asks God why he didn't save him, and God's like, "I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter." <laughs> you know,
2: so, um, so this, yeah.
1: You know, so, so Pelias here putting his sword down. It's like, wait, you know, that might not be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's more from the old guy. He says that. In addition to Zeus wanting him to become king, Zeus also decrees that Palaeus will later lose the throne to one of the king current king's three children... Um, this upsets Polias, and he picks the sword back up and declares that he's going to kill all the king's children tonight to keep this from happening. So, hmm. and, uh, you know, having come from Doctor Who, you have that problem of, you know, can you change history, you know, et cetera.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely can't can't do it when the Greek prophecies are involved. <laughs> and we get, you know, this is a, a little bit of character development for Polias here because— of course, now we know that he's going to be willing to kill three innocent children yeah. to get his throne. So.
1: Yep, and now we switch to an attack scene. And one of the things I'll say, and I, I'm sure you appreciate about the movie, this movie wastes not a second, right? The stu- the story just moves from thing to thing. <laughs> There's no, you know, no scenes where people are contemplating their navel or whatever. We just move forward. And <laughs> Partially, I think it is because, It was a low-budget film that had a lot of special effects. I mean, every, you know, uh, every shot, every frame of the film was precious. So I think they just, you know, only kept the stuff that uh, moved the the story forward. (laughs) Yeah. Uh so we have this attack scene and we have fire and people are shooting arrows and there's swords and shields and all the things you'd expect. And we're kind of doing all these fast cuts between things. I you know, we don't one of the things they don't do is <laughs> can I think a budget thing, right? They're not doing like big establishing shots like here's a big shot of the castle or whatever. No, it's just people running around smacking each other with swords and everything because they don't have the budget to to do that, right? Yeah. Um, and uh we see a A soldier carrying a baby. And I actually didn't catch this until I was taking notes. And I realized that baby must be Jason. Yeah, Um, that
0: was what I figured.
1: Yeah, because he's sort of carried off. Then we see a a woman carrying another baby. And she's hurrying into a room that has a big female statue. And this statue is of Hera, Queen of the Gods. So we're going to see a lot of her in this film. And the woman prays to Hera that she'll protect the child and maybe the woman herself. When while she's praying, Pelias enters, and he asks if she is a daughter of the king. But a shadowy figure appears and tells him not to interrupt the woman's prayers. And Pelias asks the shadowy figure, who's a woman, if um, the woman here has prayed to Hera and if Hera has heard the prayer. And the shadowy figure says yes. And this is really brutal because Pelias says, "Well, then pray for me." And then he viciously stabs the praying woman in the back. I mean, we the actual stabbing is off screen but it's it's still vicious <laughs> this is clearly an innocent woman and he has no problem you know killing her cuz she's one of the children of the king yeah, yeah but he tries to pass this off to the shadowy figure he's like well this is the will of zeus you know he said i was going to become king so of course i have to kill all the children And the shadowy figure says, nope, that's not the will of Zeus. That's your own will. (laughs) And that's not what anybody wanted. Zeus gave you the kingship, and this is what you chose to do. So now all the gods are abandoning you. (laughs) Kind of sucks when the gods abandon you. (laughs) And she now tells him that a one-sandaled man, who is Jason, uh, shall come for Pelias, and no god will protect Pelias from him. And to make matters worse, she says, if you kill Jason, you kill yourself. And then she vanishes. She reappears in the Palace of the Gods. This is Mount Olympus. And it turns out the shadowy figure was Hera all along.
0: (laughs) I kind of figured that much.
1: (laughs) Now, Hera is played by Honor Blackman. And I love Honor Blackman. So I know her. What I like her best in is she was in the first season or so of The Avengers. That's before Diana Rigg took on Hmm. that role. Um, She's an amazing woman. Yeah, well, very accomplished at the time. and She's probably most well-known as playing Pussy Galore in, nah. uh, I think it was Goldfinger or whatever. So. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I have to say, we just don't have good character names like Pussy Galore
2: anymore.
1: <laughs> 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 but yeah, she was, she was great. I didn't remember that she w- was in this, and, and, she, and it's nice that she plays a really key role in this movie. Hmm. And uh, so she – interesting thing. So, she, you know, she's gone to the Palace of the Gods in Mount Olympus. And one of the things they do is every time they show um, this location, they have these little cloud thingies in the, in the, surrounding the screen. So it's kind of, you know, kind of a animated clouds that remind you that this is some, you know, godlike space. The other thing is that, you know, the gods mostly spend their time, like, looking into this pool that shows them human events that are going on. So, it's kind of like their television, you know, they're sort of watching (laughs) what's happening. And so, Zeus is, you know, watching what's going on in the pool. And here is the wife of Zeus, and she wants to know if Zeus ordered her temple to be profaned, you know, which is what Pelias did there. And Zeus says, nope, that was all Pelias. I didn't do that. (laughs) And here is annoyed in general about how Zeus is handling all this. And she declares that she wants to help Jason. Uh, He doesn't want her to help Jason. We have a little bit of a debate. And he compromises by saying, okay, she can help Jason the same number of times that his sister had called upon her by name. And that was five times. (laughs) And she's already helped once. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, no, I guess the first time maybe comes after this, but...
0: Yeah, the the first time uh, will come pretty shortly, and it won't be at Jason's request, Mm -hmm. but uh, we're going to find out that Jason really likes burning through the wishes here. (laughs) Yeah, that's sort of the cheat codes or whatever, yeah. (laughs) Because this all basically is a video game. It's
1: funny how much it is. and now points out that, you know, because he's literally, and Jason's an infant, at this point, and she says, "Well, it'll be twenty years for him to become a man, which will only be an instant on Mount Olympus." She didn't really need to tell Zeus that, but I guess it was good to let us know. And, uh, <laughs> and she says, "But it's going to be a long wait for King Pelias, and it really is only an instant because she now goes to the pool and waves her hand, and we see King Pelias on a horse, you know, going along." a river, and he's sort of, you know, looking out for the man with one sandal. And it's already 20 years later, right? So, <laughs> yeah. again, the story just moves forward very quickly. You don't waste any time. <laughs> and now we kind of switch into being with Pelias. And suddenly Hera, in a black cloak, rises up and scares Pelias's horse, causing the horse to rear up and send Pelias flying into the water. <laughs> and then Hera vanishes in a column of smoke. Then we see the column of smoke over the water, after which Pelias is suddenly being kind of pulled under the water. So presumably here is doing this to him. And nearby there's a man. Could it be a one sandaled man? <laughs> 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 he jumps into the water and saves Pelias. And, of course, Pelias immediately notices that in saving him, the man lost a sandal. So, yep, here we are. He's, Pelias has encountered the one-sandled man. Which reminds me of the one-armed man. I was, I was
0: just thinking of that. Yeah, the Devlin McGregor Pharmaceuticals doesn't show up anywhere. <laughs> yeah, in this one.
1: Uh, and so Jason he doesn't know who Plius is, so he's like, "Oh, I'm traveling to the palace of the king, Plius," and Plius says he can help send Jason on his way. And he brings Jason to his camp, <laughs> where there's some rather uh, flexible and braless women dancing. <laughs> a lot of that dancing going on. And uh, a little digression here. So bras are actually really interesting, you know, and, and not just for uh, the obvious reason. <laughs> but, uh, modern bras are actually very complex. I mean, like on the level of complexity of a bridge, right? It's so a very difficult mm. uh problem uh physics problem they're solving, and throughout Ooh, it's history lifting and
0: separating yep <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, i don't know if Newton had anything to say about lifting and separating, but uh, <laughs> and throughout history, you know before they had modern materials, they had to develop different clever ways to uh handle the matter, so I <laughs> to say if you want want to look into it, it's interesting. <laughs> Anyway, so Jason is not the brightest bulb, because he doesn't know who this guy is, but he just comes out and says, yeah. he's the lawful king of Thessaly, and he's on his way to take out the current king, you know, who's the guy <laughs> standing in front of him. Yeah. And uh, they do this a number of times in film. There's some really clever dialogue here. You know, I referenced it earlier, uh, but Palaeus says, I've waited for you for 20 years. And Jason takes this to mean that Pelias has waited for someone to come along and you know, get rid of the king. <laughs> and then Belias says, when your father defended his throne, no man fought harder than I. <laughs> of course, he, <laughs> he was fighting to kill the father, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the dialogue. Uh, that was a good one. Uh, and Jason says, you know, the king has taken Thessaly from being the pride of Greece to being a savage, evil land. Uh, nearby, we see a white-haired, you know, old bearded man listening. He might become significant later. But Jason says, you know, he can't just kill the king. The people need to know that the gods have not deserted them. They need a miracle. And he's heard about this tree at the end of the world with a fleece of gold hanging in its branches. And, you know, if he could get that and bring it back, that would make everybody feel better. And Plius says, you know what, before you kill the king, <laughs> go get the fleece and then come back and I'll, you know, I'll give you some supplies and help out. And uh, later, when Jason is gone, Plius explains to his son, Acastus, who's going to be an important character going forward, says, look, you know, if I kill Jason, then I also kill myself, according to what Hera said, so... By having him go do this stupid, you know, Golden Fleece thing, it gets him out of the way (laughs) for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we can worry about it later. And also he says the cast should go along with Jason so he can sort of keep an eye on things. Later that night, Jason goes to an outdoor sort of fallen temple. You know, it's a little temple space, uh, but, you know, it's all collapsed and everything. And there's a statue of the god on the ground and... The white-haired old man we saw earlier is sitting there playing a liar. (laughs) Another funny bit of dialogue, because I think if you're paying any attention, you kind of figure out this, you know, obviously this old guy is somebody significant. Uh, But Jason sees the statue destroyed on the ground, and he says, Hermes. And the old man says, yes? (laughs) Jason doesn't get it. (laughs) He's like, oh, well, this is the statue of Hermes. And he goes, okay, whatever. (laughs) But eventually the old man morphs into Hermes, and this is, you know, another, again, you know, pre-CGI Nice Effect, right? You have this sort of wavy thing on the screen, and, and they literally morph the, him into a, sort of a younger man with the helmet with the wings on it and everything. It's was reasonably well done. And then Hermes grows very large. <laughs> Uh, which again, uh, we saw this in one of the Doctor Who things, which is just done by them, you know, moving the camera closer and closer to the actor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: and then it's like a, it's like a green screen type effect. So mm-hmm. he's like growing in the midst mm-hmm. of this whole scene.
1: And then he teleports Jason to Mount Olympus, and here we see Zeus and Hera basically playing a game of Risk, (laughs) moving (laughs) characters around on the map of the world. One of the things I think the film does really well is they really communicate that idea the gods are just, you know, playing games with humanity, literally. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hermes shows up, and Zeus says that there seems to be a piece missing on the board, and Hermes opens his hand, and there's Jason sitting in his hand, and it's... You know, Jason is the size of one of the pieces on this board. So everyone, you know, all the gods are, you know, huge compared to him. And Jason stands on the map, the game map, essentially next to the other pieces. Zeus is like, oh, I'll give you a ship and a crew. But Jason rejects him and says, no, I'm going to, you know, get people to follow me on their own will. I'm going to win over the hearts of men. And Hera now tells Jason that she's his protector, uh, and she tells him the rule that she can only help him five times. She doesn't mention that she's already burned one of those, you know, but that comes up later. Hmm. Now, she knows he wants to know if the golden fleece exists and where it is, and Zeus points out that's two questions, so theoretically that would you know burn up two things. But she cleverly handles both questions by just answering one of them, search in the land of Colchis. So if she's telling him where to search, then that already implies that the fleece exists. So... Yeah. And uh, I asked chat DPT about this, and Colchis is actually a real location. Um, mm-hmm.
2: It's
0: like in the Mediterranean. I wonder if it's in uh, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. <laughs> I can't remember. It's been a while. But I think that,
1: you know, it's clear that at this point, it was sort of on the edge of the known world, right? Because Jason says Colchis is the end of the world. No Greek has ever seen it. Ah. And And... Um, zeus wants to know how he's going to get a strong enough ship because you need like the strongest ship ever to to get there and jason has this answer which i'm just sorry he's like well i'll just tell the craftsman to build the strongest ship ever I'm like, okay
0: <laughs> like, uh, i don't know if you ever read atlas shrugged but there's that uh one character in it who's he's one of the bad guys and he's uh he says to one of the good guys uh, you'll figure something out you always do <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> also he's going to get the best crew by announcing games and having the athletes of Greece compete for spots on the crew i was thinking this might have been the origin of the olympics but i checked with chat gpt and it's not you know the olympics existed before this although they were created by hercules who plays a role in the film so what this really is, you know, these games that we then see, uh, where he's selecting people. It's really the same story concept as the Seven Samurai, right? Going and finding the the heroes who can who can help.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a some uh, some the Tom Sawyer trick, you know, because. Yeah. He, he did that thing where he uh, got all the kids to whitewash the fence right. by, by pretending it was really fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so he's going to have these little games to get them all to show uh, what tough guys they are.
1: Right. So now we get a montage of people competing in the games. And again, the really smart thing they do in all this, right, is like. You're getting these little shots of people throwing things or jumping or whatever, but you're not getting like a landscape. You're not—I mean, these are very cheap shots to do. <laughs> so, yeah. that you're not seeing like a stadium,
2: <laughs> right?
1: So uh, they do that really well. As people win the different things, uh, the Jason gives them this little headband they can put on that says they're going to be part of the crew. Now, one of these turns out to be a Castus, Polyas' son. So conveniently, he's able to to win some things and and come along and keep an eye on Jason. And then Hercules shows up. And this is actually after the games are over. But, you know, Jason's like, yeah, of course we're going to put you on the crew, Hercules. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then a small guy named Hylas showed up. And actually, I wasn't familiar with him. I guess he is a mythological character. And he's also too late to compete. But he says, look, I'll beat Hercules or something. And if I beat Hercules, you got to, you know, you got to put me on the crew. And so they decide whoever throws a discus the further will win, which was kind of a, you know, a sport at the time, an Olympic sport. And the funny thing is Hylas had never thrown a discus before, so he wants Hercules to go first so he can see how it's done. And, you know, there's a little rock island out there, and they say no one's ever thrown the discus that far. And (laughs) Hylas, you know, has real balls, I guess. He's like, well, is it who throws it further than the island then, you know? So Hercules uh, throws the disc and it hits the rock island. So it's further than anyone's ever done it. And and everyone knows, you know, Hylas has now been screwed. But (laughs) instead of going for sort of distance or height, what he does is he throws the disc at the water and skips it along. You know, just like when you take a little rock or whatever and skip it on the water. And that causes it to go further than the island. (laughs) And so he beats Hercules. I mean, a funny thing, that's actually how they filmed it, you know, is they actually just took a rock, uh, his part, they just took a rock and skipped it on the water, and then they replaced the rock with, with the disc in the film. So huh. um, that's a pretty clever little bit. Mm-hmm. So now that he has this crew, Jason goes to the shipbuilder named Argos to build the ship. And uh, the ship, when he builds the ship, Jason decides to call it Argo after the builder. And so it turns, and I looked into this, it turns out the cool word Argonauts, you know, Jason and the Argonauts, all that Argonauts means is sailors on the ship called Argo. (laughs) But I then had this inspiration and I asked ChatGPT, wait, is astronaut based on this? And it is. Astronaut is inspired by the word Argonauts. And so astronaut literally means sailors
0: in space. Uh, So I did not
1: know that, and I I thought that was cool.
0: Yeah, and I think Nauta is Latin for uh, ship, if I remember right. It could be wrong. Uh,
1: Actually, Nautas, well, I've got this whole note in here. Nautas means sailor, so. uh.
0: (laughs) Well, Nautas would be sailor, uh, maybe in Greek, but Nauta in Latin would be ship. Okay, So it's probably good they got that from the Greek, I guess. (laughs) So Argos has
1: built this ship already, but he's concerned that there's one flaw because he just was compelled to put the figurehead. So I didn't, even though I've seen these, I didn't really understand, you know, the mythological purpose of them. So when you see like a statue at the front of a ship, the idea is it's supposed to be looking ahead for problems in the water. So it needs to be at the head of the ship. But Argos felt compelled to put the figurehead at the back of the ship, you know, looking at the ship. And he reveals the figurehead, and it is a statue of Hera. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so Jason approves, and as he looks at the statue, the eyes open, uh, so he knows that— you know, it's really here. Uh, the funny thing is, the whole reason they did this, <laughs> the, the filmmakers needed the statue to be at the back of the boat where the steering is, so that Jason could have conversations with it. It's, if the statue was the front of the boat, out over the boat, they wouldn't have any good way for Jason to have a conversation with it. So.
0: Ah, he could just climb up on the railing, go yeah. up to the bow. <laughs> they could have done it.
1: Uh, so now we have a montage of, you know, the crew getting the ship stocked and ready and heading out. You know, it's one of those kind of everybody's rowing things. And uh, again, they waste no time because it's it's a long trip. The sun is strong. And like, you know, within 30 seconds, they're running out of water and everyone is exhausted. <laughs> We're at the next, next plot point. And Jason t- talks to the statue of Hera. and nobody else kind of knows what he's doing, but you know, he sort of goes and does it on his own. And he tells her he needs her help. And, you know, she's kind of like, you know, I can only help you a few times. You really want to blow it already, right? <laughs> so you're you're sort of at the beginning of the video game and and using up all of your <laughs> your cheat codes, right? <laughs> and she said, you know, well, he's like, Oh, I know you already told me about Colchis, so that's one. And she's like, well, actually, and also I, you know, caused Polias to go off his horse into the water and introduce you to him. And this is the first time he knows that that was Polias. Before that, he didn't didn't know it. Yeah. Um, so she's already used up two. But he insists, you know, on her help. And so she tells him to steer north and he'll reach land by noon. It's the Isle of Bronze, uh, which no human has heard of. It's the Foundry of the Gods. So Jason tells the crew where to go, but he warns them, based on what Hero said to him, that they're only allowed to take food and water from the island, nothing else. (laughs) So I'm sure uh, nothing will go wrong with that. (laughs) Hercules immediately says if he finds a woman on the island who has a firm leg, a full bosom, and a warm heart, he'll be taking her. (laughs) uh, Jason warns him that someone named Talos will stop him, but no one knows who Talos is, so... And they reach the island, and there's lots of goats and stuff, so, you know, lots of food for them to take. And Hercules and Hylas, who've apparently become good friends already, they go off after the goats, and they end up finding a bunch of huge statues of the gods in this valley. And one has a sword and is kneeling on top of a building, and the building has the name Talos on it. (laughs) And this is all pretty impressive, and of course all the statues here and everything were done after the fact, right? This is all
0: composited. In hmm. and it might be in my imagination, but it seems like the scale changes a bit from scene to scene. At these, I I could be wrong, yeah, but it possible. seems like it.
1: So they go inside the building and they find a treasure chamber of the gods. And it's kind of funny because everything in here is huge, right? So if there's like an earring or something, it's this, it's like a bowling ball, right? And. Mm-hmm. Hercules finds what he thinks is a javelin, but uh, Hylas points out it's actually a brooch pen, right? <laughs> and Hercules is like, no matter, it'll work anyway as a weapon. Hylas comes to his senses and says they shouldn't take anything, you know, Jason told them not to take anything. But Hercules insists, he says, you know, the gods aren't going to notice, and anyway, if they left all this here unguarded, then they obviously don't actually want it. But then the door suddenly slams shut, so... Maybe that wasn't true. (laughs) 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 But Hercules uses all his strength to open it. And they walk around outside the building, and nothing kind of happens for a bit. But then we hear a metal creaking sound as the Talos statue turns to look at Hercules. First of all, in in the original myths, it was like an eight-foot statue. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. Harryhausen was like, yeah, we can't have an eight-foot statue in the movie. So he based it on the Colossus of Rose. So this thing is huge, right? And uh, Talos comes to life, and he sort of creakily gets down from the building. He's holding a sword and comes after them. And I just—I mean, this is really what impressed me about this film, watching it the first time, because this stop-motion model is amazing. You know, it's—it it looks like tarnished copper metal, but it moves very fluidly. And I couldn't see any joints. I couldn't see, you know, anything kind of artificial about it. I mean, it just— uh, the smoothness with which he animates it is really amazing. Um, so I I really like this. It's probably my my favorite part of the film.
0: Yeah the uh, the animation on this guy this probably is uh, the best stop motion animation uh, in in the movie and uh, uh, yeah like like you know this Talos he's uh, this muscular guy and and just. The way that he moves, I, it seems like some of the muscles are actually moving the way that muscles mm-hmm. move. You know, it's uh, it's pretty neat, and it does. It still has a little bit of a stop motion appearance to it. You know, you you look at it and you know it's stop motion, but it uh, it's still very uh, very. Right, well does help
1: by the fact that he is this big metal guy, so you know, there's kind of an excuse for the stop motion movements, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So the rest of the crew is still loading the ship, not knowing what's happened. And then Talos appears from behind some cliffs, holding his sword. And again, he is huge. He's taller than these cliffs,
0: right? Yeah, and this is the type of thing that you know, I especially thought that the scale changed a little yeah, bit. That's from scene to scene. Well,
1: you know, that was true with King, Tong, King Kong, right? Where oh, yeah. they even did that intentionally. They just made him however tall he needed to be uh, <laughs> in different scenes, right? And didn't worry about yeah. it Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think the Talus. It, it, I hadn't really thought about it, but he's taller than these huge cliffs, but he had just been kneeling on top of a building, which wasn't that big a building. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, So yeah, he sort of got bigger as he went along. But once they see him, everyone starts running for the ship. They don't know where Hercules and Hylas are, but they start rowing and take off. Uh, there's some people who are stranded on the shore and they get mauled by Talus's massive hand. And this is really impressive because there's actual, and this is a real space, right? A real place. There's this large archway in the cliff, and his hand comes through the archway. And mauls these people. So there's like multiple levels of things they had to do there in terms of special effects to make this work. And it's it's pretty impressive. And again, like Mm -hmm. you say, his hand is way, way bigger (laughs) than it was the first time we saw him. (laughs) And then he stands up, and it's another impressive shot because you're seeing his legs through that archway and his head above the whole cliff. So that's just how Mm -hmm. big he is. Uh, And the fact that you're kind of seeing him in different parts of the shot. Now, I will say as much as I'm impressed by this, there are some problems here you, you could fix in the modern world, like the color on Talos is off. Right, he's he's not his color changes in some of these shots, uh, and it's not the same as the rest of the footage. So it's just a case where the lighting on him when Harryhausen was doing it wasn't matching, you know, the rest of the film. And again, today yeah. with computers and everything, you could fix that. But at the time, it was like, well, if you didn't get the lighting right, you didn't get it right. So he's a little bit yeah. washed out in some of these shots. So they try to row the ship out uh, but they have to go through a channel and Talos slowly walks over and stands astride the channel one foot on each side. So this is, you know, Colossus of Rhodes here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and he awkwardly leans down and grabs the boat and holds it up in the air as the men fall off. And I thought they did a pretty good job here. You know, you just get these different shots of the boat in the air and people falling off. But it all works uh, pretty well together. And, uh, The Hera statue breaks loose and floats in the water, and Jason swims to the statue, and the eyes open. One of the things about the way they did the statue is the eyes open, but the mouth doesn't move, so it makes it a little bit creepy. And Hera tells him this is all the fault of Hercules, and Talos is now going to kill all of them. And he wants her help again, and she's like, really? You're really going to use up one more? And she, he's like, well, what can we do? This guy's huge. We can't do anything with him. And she says, okay, fine. You know, if you ask me, I have to, I have to use up one of your, your helps. So her big tip is to fight him with wits instead of courage. And that part, I'm like, great, thanks. You know, what, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? But then she gives him uh, some useful information. She says, look at his ankles.
2: <laughs>
1: um, you know, ankles in mythology seem to be a real problem.
2: <laughs> yeah, the
1: Achilles heel and all that. So the remaining men from the boat wash up on the shore, and they come in with these big waves. <laughs> this was actually a storm that happened by surprise, and they just took advantage of it. They just had people run out into the water <laughs> while the storm was occurring. So classic, you know, yeah. you know, low-budget film thing. <laughs> Once they get to shore, Hercules and Hylas now show up and meet them. And immediately Talos appears in the distance. Here's something I hadn't noticed previously, but it's really bad in a couple spots. It's a perennial problem for special effects in the pre-CGI world, which is—and this is true in Star Wars, too. The problem was when you have special effects stuff, what you're doing is you're taking the film and you're using it multiple times. You're projecting—for example, in this case, you've you've filmed it, but now you're projecting the live-action film onto, say, a piece of glass— And then you're putting the, you know, the stop motion stuff behind the piece of glass. Well, the problem is because you're projecting what you filmed onto that piece of glass, you're now doing a level of degradation, right? Yeah. And so... At this point, the live action, the color goes wrong. It gets a little bit blurry. It just, and this didn't happen in other spots in the film. So it just for whatever reason, it didn't work. It, you know, some of it didn't work as well in this case. And I, I think this is all amazing. I think what they did was amazing. But I'm just pointing out, you know, the little things you can, you can see if you're looking out for them. Anyway, so Talos is coming. And Jason sends everyone else on to run away from him, but he decides he decides to stay behind some rocks to see if he can do something. And Acostus, you know who we know, he doesn't know, but we know is the son of Polyas. Uh, um, actually, I guess at this point he would know uh, because now he knows who Pelias was.
0: But I don't know. Did did he see? Uh, him well,
1: Acostus was in that camp, something? so you would think so. And also, no, there is a point he says later something that implies he knows. But anyway. So yeah, I think it's another passive-aggressive thing here. Acosta says, I shall do my very best to send Talos to you, my very best.
2: <laughs>
1: he's supposed to be helping him, but I think he's also kind of saying he's trying to get him killed. <laughs> Uh, So the remaining men taunt Talos with rocks and spears to get him to kind of move past Jason and not notice him. And then they start running up and stabbing in his toes. So again, that's the scale thing you talked about, when he was on top of the building, he was probably like 10 or 12 feet or something. And now, you know, his foot alone is like five feet (laughs) tall,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And while they're stabbing at his toes, Jason notices a huge access hatch on Talus's heel. I guess this would be a nail <laughs> um, um, a nail, but it really looks like an hatch. Chose, uh, mm-hmm. an access hatch. And also in any video game this would be flashing, right? Because this is
0: the boss's uh, weak point. <laughs> oh yeah. And this I actually this is the one bit of research I did for mm-hmm. this episode. Because 'cause I've seen a screw head like this before. And I couldn't find out what it's called, but there's another screw head that's called a spanner screw, or a pig nose screw. That's like this, but but instead of having two nubs pointing out, they're holes going in, and mm-hmm. hence the the pig nose, you know, because you've got the two <laughs> right, right. nostrils there. So this is a this is a pig nose screw, except it has outies instead of innies. Yeah, your research and, for this episode.
1: Also, I mean. Talk about Star Wars. This is pretty much the, you know, the access hatch or whatever, right? I mean, just <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so he uses a spear as a lever to, you know, he puts it between those um, screw points and twists it open. Uh, I hope you remembered, you know, lefty-loosey, righty-tighty. But, uh, <laughs> and at first we see steam coming out, and then a red substance pours out. So a couple interesting things about this. And they actually also, in the Blu-ray I had, and it's really worth listening to, um, the commentary track is an interview with Ray Harryhausen where they they go through all this. So (laughs) the blood that pours out of his heel... Was really just cellophane, red cellophane that they were like shot lights on and twisted back and forth. So, so that was pretty Not creative. Really. Yeah, and you would never notice. I mean, you have to look really close, and it looks it yeah, works really well. I, so. <laughs> I thought it was liquid. I, uh, I I thought it looked like red antifreeze. Yeah. The other interesting thing here is that in Greek mythology, uh, Talos was a creation of the God Hephaestus, who was mentioned earlier in the film. Um, and anyway, he's animated by ichor which is a fluid that is the blood of the gods and immortals in greek mythology so basically what we're seeing here with the uh <laughs> the you know cellophane is the ichor coming out of him
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that turns out to be bad for him because uh he starts kind of melodramatically you know doing the <laughs> it's that classic you know actor trying to grab the screen thing where he's just like uh, you know, has his hands at his neck and he spends a whole long time dying <laughs> <laughs> and he's stumbling around. Uh, and then the cool thing is like cracks appear in his chest. And what they had to do was they actually broke the model so the cracks would be there. And then they filled the cracks in with paste and then they just, you know, uh, took out the paste <laughs> to make the crack show up. So <laughs> yeah. Interesting little bit. So he, um, you know, he's in trouble Meanwhile, everyone else is running away, but Hylas realizes that Hercules dropped that javelin, you know, the actually the brooch that he uh, had found, and Hylas runs to get it. That's a bad idea because this is the point where Talos falls over and, you know, crushes him. <laughs> yeah. And we now get a montage of the men repairing the ship and putting the hero statue back in place. And eventually Jason and Hercules show up. They haven't been able to find Hylas. You know, they they have, for some reason think they can find him somewhere. And Hercules insists on staying and finding Hylas. Yeah.
0: Because Hercules and Hylas were buddies because Hylas did that clever discus trick right. and, you know, and outsmarted him and all that. And apparently this is
1: true to the mythology. So uh, now I don't know. And it's one of those things that, you know, people always debate about this sort of thing. I don't know. If they, were, I think they maybe also were supposed to be in a relationship or something, but I, I haven't ah, looked into it. So. Yeah.
0: That, that may have been that. Uh, maybe somebody in the movie production had that intention, but I don't think the general audiences were supposed to right. get that Right? Yeah, no, from they it. weren't
1: playing them as gay or anything. But but, but, but you know, there was, in terms of the mythology, there was a lot of that kind of stuff, right? Cause oh, yeah. Men loving men wasn't a problem when it came to mythology. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um,. Now Acostas, you know, the son of the king, starts a mini revolt by saying, well, he's not going to sail without Hercules, and he gets other people to agree. So Jason, you know, because previously Jason has sort of been secretly talking to the statue of Hera, and now he takes the crew to her statue, and he asks if there's anyone here who does not obey the gods. And Hera's statue then opens her eyes and talks and amazes the crew, and she tells Jason this is the last time she can help him. I mean, he's used up most of his help like in the last you know couple of hours
2: you know? yeah
1: <laughs> and, and uh she says you know Zeus has other plans for Hercules he won't be coming back she also confirms that Hylas is dead um but Hercules is no longer going to be part of the team and again this is true to the mythology apparently and her hmm. last the last thing she can do for Jason is to tell them to sail to Phrygia and seek out Phineas the blinded man only he can help them now. And we get a montage of much sailing. And that's the first right. half of the movie.
0: Okay, so on some island somewhere, this turns out to be Phrygia. There's a temple there. It's a, it's an old ruined temple. There's no roof on it anymore. It still has four walls that are just columns. And a bunch of scattered rocks and blocks and stuff throughout it. Yeah,
1: this is actually a real location. (laughs) One of the interesting things about when they did this movie versus now is that they were allowed to just film all around there and do a bunch of stuff. We'll see, you know, they had a bunch of people get on top of this thing and everything. That would never be allowed to happen today.
0: Yeah. yeah, we do see the guys crawling across the top. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the top of the, the pediments is. That it? I don't know. <laughs> it, what's the the bars that are above the columns yeah. anyway? <laughs> so apparently this, uh, this old guy who lives in this temple, this ruined temple, uh, uh, he must be somebody special because, uh, there are people just bringing him a big, big feast. Uh, these two women lay out a whole uh, buffet on a table for him there's fruit and you know all the all the fictions so he uh, he comes to the table you know he's blind so he's not moving fast and you have in the notes here uh, because this, this first couple minutes I'm actually using your notes mm-hmm. um, you have in the notes that this old blind man is, Patrick Trouton, mm-hmm. which uh, which surprised me when I saw that because I had put in my notes that uh, he was Joaquin Phoenix.
1: <laughs> well, it is really weird to me because I would, if you asked me, I would swear this had to be after who, right? First of all, he he does look mm-hmm. older here. Of course, there's you know a lot of makeup and everything involved, but yeah. And this is in color, which kind of fools you and everything. But basically, this must have been filmed. I didn't look up the exact time. This was filmed in 63, and that's about when Doctor Who started. So this was basically when the show started, and it was three years later that he became the Doctor. So... uh Right. And this and this is a very different performance, you know. I, I think um, when we watch The Invisible Man, you know, it's sort of like, oh, okay, he's, you know, whatever. But here it's like, no, no this is a very different performance than than the doctor. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And in both those cases, he's been made up uh, to look yeah. <laughs> like an older man and is, at least to my untrained eye, uh, practically unrecognizable or yeah. thoroughly unrecognizable <laughs> in my case. But yeah, this uh this this blind guy is uh well Phineas is his name, but he's he's Patrick Trouton in this. And uh he doesn't get a big role in the movie. He gets uh gets a few minutes of harpy fighting, but we'll get to. Uh and that's about it. So uh he he starts eating but but he doesn't get very far and then uh the harpies attack. There are two of them. They look like they look more like demons as we, like, you know, we've seen harpies in video games like The Witcher and stuff, and they've <laughs> typically got wings and feathers and stuff, and these are more like bat-winged, right. demon-type and creatures. And
1: I don't know if it was on purpose or not, I kind of assume it was, but these, they're more jerky than, say, Talos was, right? So they're, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, it could not be on purpose, but I I think they're supposed to be just these very harsh you know jerky things and and be very annoying which which they
0: are (laughs) yeah and they're making all these annoying squawks and stuff like that and and plus in this um even though it's stop motion these things are constantly in midair and darting around and hovering and um so i'm not sure if if they were like filmed on a little metal rod that was we washed out later or what the what the trick behind it was, or maybe they were all just filmed standing up and they were just sort of moved around in the air afterwards. Uh, I don't know. I think they
1: probably just used, used strings cause they wouldn't have, uh, probably had the ability to, to wipe out the rods. But, but the one of the things that is, um, in, you know, well, I, well, I still say talus is the part that I really like in the movie for, for the stop motion and special effects. Um, they are interacting a lot with Patrick and right? I mean, they're flying at him and grabbing food out of his mm-hmm. hands. And at one point they grab part of his clothing off of him, which that sort of thing is very complex because what they had to be doing, you know, on the actual scene was have like a wire or whatever that pulled that cloth up. And then when mm. Harryhausen did the animation, he had to match – you know, the harpy exactly to pulling that cloth and bringing it up. So so it's a very challenging scene in terms of the animation. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's, like, stabbing his staff at them and everything. And, of course, he couldn't see anything. So then the animator has to kind of reverse engineer all that, right? Like, if his staff is going to be poking at one of them here, that means they have to make sure it's going to be, th- that the harpy is going to be in that location. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they're taking stuff from him. They take his precious staff at one point and drop it off somewhere on the side. And it looks like if these, if these two harpies wanted to, they could probably just Kill him and eat Hell him. Yeah, he's a blind well, old for, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but for some reason they're not doing that. They just want his feast well, I, at, on the I, I, table. My understanding
1: and, here is there's basically a curse, and the, and yeah, he just yeah. We he, don't yeah. know that yet, but right. yeah, he's not allowed to enjoy anything, right? So all this food is brought to him, but of course it's all taken away from him. You know, and it's worse than him just being starved. Because it's all there, he just can't get to it,
0: right? Right, right. He's been punished, uh, to be tormented by harpies. So <laughs> finally, finally, they just knock him down, and uh, then they go to the table and they start eating all the food. And,
1: uh, <laughs> like bad guests, and,
0: <clears throat> yeah. And so he laments a little, just uh, off to the side there. He says, Lord Zeus, I was a sinner. But he goes on to say, but I didn't sin every single day, <laughs> whereas <laughs> this is happening to him every single yeah. day. And that's, that's why they didn't kill him is because he's got to go through it every day. So the harpies are eating, and Jason's group of Argonauts comes up the hill. And uh, Phineas uh, tells him about himself. He says he abused his gift of, gift of prophecy uh, so here he is Yes, yeah, so I, I think the deal I think Harpies. it was
1: mentioned by somebody that basically he got this gift of prophecy and, and as maybe I would do what he did was went and blabbed everyone right he told everyone what was going on with everything and with the gods and, and they were like yeah that's not that's not cool
0: <laughs> well <laughs> yeah, that, that might have been from your outside reading at least I don't remember hearing it in the movie but uh, I could I could be wrong but Uh, In the movie, I think all he says is he abused his gift of Mm. prophecy. I don't know. Anyway, he says the gods have ordered that he tell Jason whatever Jason wants to know. But Phineas has decided this is a fun time to start defying the gods. (laughs) Um, So he puts a price on his assistance. He says, free me from these harpies and then I'll tell you what you want to know. Now Jason is a little taken aback because if he does this, he's going to be openly defying Zeus because mm-hmm. this is Zeus's will to have the Harpies tormenting him. But he figures, what the heck? And uh, <laughs> so they go through with it. Next scene, uh, we see these men climbing up to the top of the top of the temple, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, stuff that they wouldn't be permitted to do nowadays. <laughs> And they cover the whole temple with nets, you know, the open roof is netted off and then they drop nets down the sides so uh, that the walls, you know, the columns are all covered with nets too. It makes you wonder where they kept all those nets on the boat, <laughs> but they've got them. And uh, so then a bunch of the men are down there in in this little makeshift net cage and uh the Argonauts are fighting with the harpies, they're fighting with swords and spears, and uh, if this is uh, any indication of what the the cream of Greece can do with <laughs> weapons, uh, it's no wonder that the Romans finally took them over. Uh, so finally, they're, they're not getting anywhere with these weapons, so the men up on top, they just cut the ropes and the nets drop onto the harpies, and now they've finally got them captured. So the Argonauts build a really shaky cage. It's just basically <laughs> a bunch of sticks. <laughs> but Phineas is pleased as punch. He, he gives Jason his directions. Uh, he says going northwest this way, then through the clashing rocks and northeast that way. Um, and Jason asks him about the clashing rocks and, uh, uh, you know, Phineas just basically says, yeah, kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? <laughs> apparently, it doesn't for Jason. He still has to find out uh, the hard way. Phineas also gives Jason a necklace. It has a little carved figurine of a god on it or some mythological figure. And so the men are off on the next leg of their journey. They leave Phineas to gloat uh, very smugly over <laughs> his buffet Next to the flimsy cage of angry harpies, yeah, so
1: as they say, you know now the harpies have to watch him eating, so they're now, yeah, angry. and he
0: gets to throw them the scraps, yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know if maybe it's because he's blind, he just doesn't realize how crappy that cage is, but i I would not feel as good about it as uh, he does. <laughs> So the Argo reaches a narrow channel. It's just basically a canyon, except it's filled with water. They're wary of it. They figure this is probably what the deal, or, you know, what the what the clashing rocks are all mm-hmm. about. But they they don't see any rocks clashing, so uh, they're not sure what to make of it. They're wary, but that's all they're doing so far is just sort of. Uh, looking slant-eyed at it, or side-eyed, I guess is what I should say. It's slant-eyed. It's a whole different thing. <laughs> um, anyway, fortunately, a different ship comes in from the other end of the channel, and uh, then the crew of the Argo gets to see what the clashing rocks do. And <laughs> sadly enough, they don't actually clash together. You'd think they'd just smash them like the trash compactor in Star <laughs> Wars, but the, actually they just shake around a lot, and it's actually... I mean they actually built fake rocks and had some sort of you know machinery where they could make them sort of move around a little bit, but the rocks themselves don't or the the big the big cliff rocks don't do much aside from just jiggling uh but what does happen is they rock slides mm-hmm. uh they dump rock slides on the ship, so this this newcomer ship it just sinks right away, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. It's uh, it's convenient that a ship showed up so soon after the Argo arrived, but uh, I wonder how much how long they would have to wait to get other ships to come through <laughs> here. Probably a while, I would think. The other ship sinks, so now uh, the Argonauts have a better idea of what they're up against. Mm-hmm. And up in Olympus, Hero uh, moves a chess piece onto the board, and this is the figurine from the necklace that Phineas gave Jason. Mm-hmm. And down on the ship, Jason decides this is a good time to curse the gods, <laughs> <laughs> knowing now that they really do exist. And uh, he throws the figurine into the water. And not long after, a god or some kind of thing rises from the deep. Uh, I thought it might be Poseidon, but I, I read something I don't know what I was even reading, but it said he was Triton, so maybe that's Yeah, I had the
1: same thing. I assumed it was Poseidon, but it it was Triton. I think that Poseidon is probably a more powerful, you know, Mm. like master of the sea, and I think Triton is maybe, you know, something less, but, uh, yep, exactly. So
0: he just stands there pushing the two walls of this canyon apart while the ship very slowly sails through. I mean... This ship with, you know, all these paddles and oars on it, I mean, these ships can move at a pretty good clip when they want to. Mm-hmm. But but this is just taking its own sweet time <laughs> passing through.
1: So funny thing about how they chose the actor here. There was actually—so they needed somebody tall— they also needed somebody with long arms <laughs> to make the Pushing the Rocks work. And so there was another actor they preferred in terms of his looks and everything, but his arms weren't long enough, <laughs> so they went Ooh. with the actor had longer
0: arms. that's <laughs> so kind of funny. You know, I'll be darned. Mm, makes sense. So I guess what we see is an enormous man is actually just uh the man being filmed at actual yeah. size, okay, yeah, and so uh, you know he's also got a, a
1: tail that's done separately uh that comes out oh of yeah, a little fish tail yeah. yeah,
0: so uh he helps them out, they sail on past, and uh I think when once they get out of the channel, one of them says something like uh, uh I wish I knew who that god was, so I could thank him or <laughs> something to that effect. It turns out there were three survivors of that ship that. Uh, God-bashed by the rock slides. One of them is a pretty woman, and she says uh, she serves in the temple of Hecate. Mm-hmm. And Jason assumes this means she's a dancer there. I guess they are known for their dancers. Her name is Medea. Mm-hmm. And they they came here. They were going to... I think they said they were going to spread flowers on the water and placate the gods and something like that, but, but it didn't work, obviously. And, of course,
1: you know, if you know mythology at all, you're kind of wanting to say to Jason, don't swipe left or whatever.
2: You know? You really don't want to go this route.
1: <laughs> but she's she's nice enough now. So. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: And, uh, he, he's later, not when she's not around or, you know, she's got her own little nest in a corner of the ship uh, that they set up for her. Uh, Later on, he's talking to his crew, the Argonauts, and his plan is he's going to go to town alone and play a diplomat. He's going to be friendly to the king, and, you know, I don't know what he's hoping to do with this, like uh, maybe, you know, say, uh, could we borrow your golden fleece for (laughs) a couple decades? I don't know what his plan is exactly, but Lacastus, who is the bad guy's son, we'll recall. He has an alternate plan. He wants a group of men to sneak up onto the land at night and go steal the Golden Fleece. And then seemingly out of nowhere, but there is some explanation if we know that Jason knows that he's the bad guy's son. Right? Jason accuses Acastus of planning to backstab him during that uh, daring raid on the fleece. Acastus is indignant at this, even though it's probably exactly right. Hmm. And they fight. Acastus finally has to abandon ship. He jumps in the water. Uh, Jason sends a guy named Euphemus after him, Uh, but it turns out that somewhere under the water, Euphemus dies and he floats to the top. Acastus doesn't float to the top, so they assume that he's dead as well. Medea notices that Jason is wounded in his fight with Acastus. And she tells Jason she'll show him a healing flower tomorrow. <laughs> and sure enough, the next day they're on land and she heals with him. She tells him to follow the road east and she says, I go another way. And she goes west, apparently. <laughs> uh, but they end up in the same place in the very next scene. They're in a temple. Uh, he's standing in a crowd and she's one of the dancers, but he doesn't recognize her yet because she's covered in gold paint. <laughs> Uh so she's she's dancing among the other dancers. Uh, and, and these dancers, I don't know, it, it struck me as uh, nothing too wild, pretty <laughs> G-rated, I thought. Um, and then after the dance is over, King Aedes comes in. And he has a seat on a big throne, and he invites Jason and his crew to a feast. Uh, and it turns out that he's he wants to reward them for rescuing Medea, who is actually revealed as the high priestess of Hecate. Mm-hmm. So uh, she's more important than she let on. But then at the feast, once all the men are gathered there, all the Argonauts, uh, then Aedes tells Jason that he knows about their plan to take the fleece. Uh, and he's not happy about it. The Aedes men, uh, he's got some archers in there. They've all got the drop on the Argonauts. So they just... They just Don't put up any resistance. Um, It turns out that Acastus is alive, and he snitched to the king uh, about uh, what Jason was planning, so the Argonauts are all marched off to jail. In the temple, Media is praying to Hecate. Now, it seems like she has really warmed up to Jason real Mm -hmm. fast here, because now she's torn between loyalty to Hecate and loyalty to her country, which indicates... Uh, you know, that kind of loyalty would make her uh, watch Jasons be executed and be done with it. But she also wants to have loyalty to herself. And that involves uh, uh, getting a little closer to Jason, I think. <laughs> so we then see her uh, in a dungeon, uh, and she's lifting keys off. All the guards are sleeping, which seems like, uh, you, you might want to leave at least one or two guards <laughs> awake. But, but, uh, but it turns out they're not, this isn't their normal routine. Uh, she's actually drugged them, but yeah. we don't know that just yet. She goes into Jason's cell, unlocks it with the key from the guard. Uh, she asks him to just sail away in peace. Just get out of here and save yourself. But he says he will fulfill the task the gods gave him. So she says, all right, then I'll go with you because I have no country now and I love you. (laughs) So (laughs) laying her cards on the table here. They go into the next room where the rest of the Argonauts are being held. Uh, They make a plan. Most of them are going to go back to the ship. They all leave the palace. Uh, But one of the guards is still awake and as it happens, so is the king. And the awake guard spots the unconscious guards while he's doing his rounds he goes to tell the king, uh, and the king deduces that Medea drugged them. So she's, her tre- treachery is now known. Mm-hmm. So Aedes is going to lead his men to go protect the fleece. Acastus gets to the, uh, golden fleece first. And, uh, as the, as the French soldiers said in, uh, Money Python and the Holy Grail, uh, it's very nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he says, you know, very reflective, shiny, uh golden, you know, uh, skin on this tree. But I was thinking, like, if this is, like, really valuable and can, you know, be the fate of nations or whatever, maybe not just leave it in the backyard hanging on a tree.
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not really the most dignified place for it. <laughs> I don't know. Seems don't it know. works, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> We cut away to the Argo, and we uh, the the Argonauts see some soldiers on the shore. They're heading toward the fleece. This is Aedes and his men, so they send two guys plus Argo, the old shipbuilder, uh, to go uh, help Jason out. Now that's you know this the king has a good sized group of guys, probably a dozen or so. Uh, and, you know, they, they must uh, be pretty confident to just send two guys to go and uh, help Jason. Because Argo is an old guy. He's not doing anything mm-hmm. but give moral support. So back in this cave with the tree in it, uh, Jason touches the fleece. And as soon as he does, a uh, hydra pops out of a nearby cave. <laughs> uh, and this is another stop motion thing. And it's, uh, it's pretty good, pretty well done and wrapped up in its tail is a castis and he's being squeezed to <laughs> death.
1: And I think this is this is like a 4 foot tall uh model or something, you know, which is oh, really well, huge man. and it has like the seven heads and <laughs> he talk, again I mentioned, you know, he didn't have the technology we do now to like track where each of the heads was going and stuff. So <laughs> here he hasn't said like if you got a phone call He'd come back and have to be like, okay, where was, was head number three going forward or
2: backwards? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so, yeah, it's pretty, uh pretty amazing bit of stop motion here.
0: Oh, yeah. And uh, the hydra grabs Jason with its tail, just as it did with the canthus. And, uh, Jason hacks at it, and he gets free. Medea's watching from a distance, and uh, she looks alternately concerned and uh, aroused i would say <laughs> she uh, she's uh, getting something important out of this fight i think
1: yeah and uh, you know you don't know i mean the whole thing about her and i, I guess maybe it was with jason i don't know myth- mythologically but she ends up killing her children so she's a pretty ah, pretty intense you know. woman <laughs>
0: I thought, when she first said her name, I thought, boy, I, I remember her as being bad for some mm-hmm. reason, but I, I didn't look it up. So, all right, that explains it. It's just, it,
1: you know, right? it's one of those girlfriends that doesn't let you alone after the fact, et cetera, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Real clingy, <huh>? mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so uh, he kills the Hydra finally. And, you know, when Hercules fought the Hydra, mm-hmm. he just had to... <laughs> cauterized the heads if I remember right well, the because other, they kept growing back
1: right that was the other thing is for every head he cut off two more would grow back and Harryhausen was like yeah I wasn't going to animate that
2: <laughs> so,
0: yeah it <laughs> yeah, makes sense probably a good call there so so this Hydra goes down from just a simple stab in the chest and then Acastus, who's been already cast out of the Hydra's tail he's just lying on the ground he lets out one final agonized moan, and he dies. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so his dad's evil plan got his own son killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Argos and the two men from the ship arrive. They all grab the fleece, and they get out of there. Right on their trail, Aedes arrives with his men, and he says mm-hmm. a little impromptu prayer to Hecate that shall give him the power of the children of the night. So three or four meteors come down out of the sky and burn up the Hydra's corpse. (laughs) Which uh, I don't know why they couldn't just skin the Hydra and get the (laughs) teeth that way. But uh, anyway, now it's a it's a Hydra skeleton and it makes it easier for his men to remove the teeth, which he collects in a bowl. And uh, what they do with this, I think, would be interesting
1: because in the actual myth, it's something else that for attacking Jason after this. But they by doing the whole teeth thing, they do a clever connection between the hydra and, and you know what happens next
0: <laughs> oh yeah jason and uh, argo medea and the other two guys they're they're outside getting closer to the shore aedes and his crew catch up with them and an archer shoots medea in the back but uh jason just takes a golden fleece covers her with it for a minute and she's fine <laughs> she's all healed uh, and the rest of Aedes' guys don't really uh, seem to approach. I mean, this would be, you would think, a perfect opportunity while they're goofing off with the golden fleece here. But uh, but they let him heal her, and everybody's back to normal on that side. But what Aedes, Aedes does is he just starts casually wandering around this flat dirt area, and he's just tossing a tooth here and another one there and just... He doesn't have a care in the world, he's hmm. just having a good time. And he tosses a bunch of them down. And Jason uh, has a bad feeling, apparently, and hmm. he tells Argos and Medea to bug out. So they, they leave, they head back to the ship. Now it's just Jason and the other two guys from the ship. After a moment, Aedes is watching the ground carefully, waiting for something to happen that would be kind of a... Disappointment if he got all these hydra teeth and nothing happened with them. But after a moment, some dirt gets kicked up, which is, uh, I imagine, a special effect in in its own right. And Mm. uh, it's pretty convincing. Uh, And a skeleton pops up. And it's even carrying a sword and a shield. (laughs) Um, And it's not a friendly-looking skeleton. It's Mm -hmm. a mean-looking skeleton. Uh, And this repeats several times until there are seven skeletons Mm -hmm. in all. Aedes gives the order, kill them all. Mm -hmm. And the the skeletons stalk for a minute. You know, they're just sort of uh, sort of crouched down. They're sort of moving slow. I mean, they're not they're not sneaking up on anybody. I mean, Jason and the rest can see can see them coming, but they're just kind of taking their time. You know, moving ominously. And then they let out this god-awful scream. (laughs) They they don't have lungs, but somehow they (laughs) scream chillingly, and they rush Jason's group. And we've got an old-fashioned skeleton fight.
1: (laughs) This is really the most famous scene in the movie, especially for special effects, because the degree to which the skeletons are interacting with the humans, right? I mean, they're clashing swords, they're hitting... Um, shields, they're jumping over each other, etc., uh, was just amazing and <clears throat> unprecedented. Now, it's not for me, it's not my favorite again. I, I really like the talus stuff, but technically, it's very impressive. And it was, you know, a real challenge for them to do. They would have to, um, what they did was they started out with, you know, guys in the place of the skeletons, and they each had a shirt on and they had a number <laughs> on the back of their shirt ah. so that, uh, in the filming and the animator could look, he could see which which person was in which spot at each point, right? Okay. And they then did this fight over and over again, you know, with those guys there until the actors had memorized the moves. Then they take the guys out and have the actors do it against nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, very challenging. You have a sword fight and there's no one else there. <laughs> and then the animation was to put in you know, the skeletons, uh, at that point. Um, and you know, so again, very, very technically impressive. Uh, people were really surprised. There are shots in here that don't work as much for me, especially like when skeletons like flip over the top of Jason or something It kind of doesn't look right. You know, it doesn't look real, um, to me in the same way that say Talos, uh, looked real, but, uh, but this is, you know, this is what everyone remembers about this movie in terms of special mm-hmm. effects.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is, I, I think, uh, you know, when I was saying I'd watch the movies or the the documentaries and special effects, this is the shame that they always seem to use mm-hmm. for that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty neat. It's, uh, and skeletons are appropriately creepy looking. Jason's two assistants, they both eventually die. And Jason runs off, uh, jumps off a cliff into the sea. Uh, it's too bad he didn't think of that before the other two guys <laughs> died. But, uh, ah, well, at least he survived. And we see the skeletons come over the edge after him, and they, uh, 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 they don't seem to handle the, uh, the ocean very well. So uh, he, he ends up getting away hmm. finally. And then we see up in Mount Olympus, we see Zeus and Hera are watching the whole game on their little uh, viewing pool. And Zeus says, the game is not over. But for now, he will let Jason and Medea enjoy a calm sea, a fresh breeze, and <laughs> each other. And he says, let us continue the game another day. And in the viewing pool, we see Jason and Medea kiss. And that's the end. And and it kind of caught me by surprise mm-hmm. because I hadn't been keeping uh, track of the of the time. So I was like, oh. That's it. Well,
1: and also, right, I mean, in terms of story, of course, you're expecting him to go back and have the big final fight with the king uh, right. and all that, and they just don't do any of that, right? So it's really unusual <laughs> to just sort of end it uh, there. Also, they end oh, it yeah. before, you know, we find out what Medea is going to do and all. It's it's like one of those, maybe you don't want to know what comes next. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah.
0: um. Well, we, we can guess that he eventually becomes the king because uh, the prophecies worked out good so far, so. you yeah. know? Yeah, but uh, yeah, surprising. But it it is a good place to end it. Actually, as good a place as any. That the timing comes out. What is it like? An hour forty? Yeah, something something like that. So, uh, so it's pretty, uh, pretty good length. You know, long enough to be interesting, but not so long (laughs) as to be not interesting. Yep pretty good i liked it i uh, this is another case where i don't think i have the same connection to it that you do but uh, you know I, I i liked it i'd recommend it especially if you like uh, i mean as you mentioned uh, there there are some clever dialogue moments especially mm. when somebody's being passive aggressive you know <laughs> there are a couple good instances of that but uh, most of the dialogue is just functional i'd say mm. you know it, explains what's going on and keeps things moving but uh not uh you know not a whole lot of uh quotable quotes in it <laughs> not a and then the the action of course is mostly involving stop motion, which mm. is fun, but it's you know it's ultimately still action, which i just i don't know I don't have the action gene i guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy it a bit, but you know, I, I don't. Uh, I don't seek out action. I'm, I'm more a, so you know, I am more I do not know, script mood type <laughs> of guy. I don't know. Yeah, I
1: feel like um, it is. So I think the acting works really well. You do have some good actors. You know, obviously Honor Blackman um, is is a great actress and everything in it. But I also think that it's a case where. It being a mythological story and therefore a little more kind of formal and stiff and how people talk means that some people who may not be great actors, it works okay because it kind of fits into the, you know, milieu, sort of like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator or whatever, you know, talking mm-hmm. strangely, right? Well, he's a robot, right. so that's okay. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like uh, that works well. I don't think anyone's – there's no embarrassing acting in it there easily you know easily could have been someone who just didn't work at all i think some of the actors like the guy who played hercules he just he just feels like hercules and he's just this <laughs> but, uh, the interesting thing and, and it is kind of the way i think the greeks were right it's the difference between our religions these days we see gods as these sort of very omnipotent thing and the heroes or whatever hercules was just this guy you know i mean he was a strong guy but he was also you know impetuous and and, uh, but, uh, but also cared about his friends. Like, you know, and, and I think yeah. that, that,
0: that came across really well. Um, oh yeah. with his Although he was, he was actually a demigod if I remember mm. right. So he was like half God. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Oh, Disney's Hercules is a fun movie actually. It's a, I really enjoy that one. That yeah. Was,
1: I think I watched that after, I guess we did not talk about on the show, but I watched it after you, uh, oh. uh, told me about it. Yeah. It was a fun one. You know, the guy who plays Jason is fine. Uh, You know, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like, again, there's nothing in the acting that particularly stands out. I did like the bad guy at the end, uh, Aedes, uh, more of our kind of classic bad guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. He would easily fit into an episode of Doctor Who, I
1: think. (laughs) You know, I think, as you mentioned, I mean, one of the things that they just did really well is just they didn't waste a single frame, right? There's just, there's no... Mm -hmm plot points that don't go anywhere or things. I mean, it just moves and moves and moves, right? They cut out anything. that isn't, uh, they literally at the beginning, they cut out 20 years and then, you
0: know, you know. <laughs> cause you yeah, know, and, and as you mentioned, uh, that they did that cleverly cause Harrow says, uh, You know, 20 years to us is but a moment, and then the very next scene is (laughs) 20 years later.
1: And you know that a modern one going along the lines of, you know, um, uh, Lord of the Rings or whatever, we'd have all these scenes or montages of people growing up or getting older, whatever, right? I mean, they wouldn't just let, you know, 20 years go past, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I, I appreciate that. And, of course, I mean, if you have any interest in the history of animation or especially stop motion animation, it's just a, you know, canonical film there. And a lot of th- – there are many, like, directors and animators who became – got their career because they watched this film and it, and it inspired them, right? Um, so it's uh, one of those sorts of films. Oh, Yeah. Well, but at the end of the day being the, the less familiar with it, uh, where, where would you put it on the the worth watching spectrum?
0: Uh, yeah, I would say it's worth watching. I I'd, I'd say uh, you know, it's not uh, it's the stop motion is cool, but it helps to it helps to be a little older and understand <laughs> how much work went into it because right if you're a young kid nowadays and you've seen all the marvel movies and Mm. whatever else is out there nowadays and then you're seeing these little things that are that are animated in this uh obviously stop motion animation it's very well done stop motion but it's still very clearly stop motion i mean uh you know, a kid nowadays, I think, seeing that would think like, man, they movies were really crap back in, then, <laughs> in the day. You know? Uh, you know, it's not crap. I mean, it's, it's not the greatest uh, script overall in the world, but then that's what they were, the material they had to work with. I mean, right. it's just, you know, a lot of old myths, be they Greek or Chippewa oh. or whatever, they're just, this happened, then this, then this, and there's like, you know, there's it it's just sort of random <laughs> funky stuff that happens right.
1: now it's interesting on the stop motion side that um basically for the next couple of decades it was basically at this level you know different levels of quality but when you get to star wars in in particular empire strikes back where the adats the walkers were done in stop motion um, that was a guy named Phil Tippett doing that. That was basically just continuing what we saw here, you know, with maybe a few more tools and, and, and more experience, et cetera. And it was, I think it was in 93 that uh, Jurassic Park came out. And mm. Jurassic Park changed everything. In fact, and, you know, might be worth watching someday and talking about this all or whatever, but Phil Tippett, who did the stop motion for Star Wars and did stop motion for a number of other famous stop motion films, he was part of Jurassic Park, and it was supposed to be kind of his end-of-career crowning achievement,
0: right, where he did this mm-hmm. big... his so valedictory. Yeah,
1: a big dinosaur film with stop motion. So that's how they started it out, and they were doing the stop motion, but in the meantime... Some people on the project were experimenting with how well they could do the dinosaurs in CGI. And they put together a demo reel of a dinosaur, you know, walking through something or whatever. And when they showed that to Spielberg and the production team, Spielberg was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to do stop motion. We're going to do this. Now, you know, that was a blow to Phil Tippett. But. Spielberg was very both kind and wise, and and rather than just firing Tippett, which you know a lot of people would do, saying oh we don't need you now we're you know we're doing this this other thing, he said I need you to teach these CGI animators how to animate these characters. Um, (laughs) Oh no kidding! Yeah, because you know as a stop motion person, his sense of how to animate a character and everything was you know was extremely strong, and so. He hmm. got to play a big part in the film by, by you know, teaching them how to do that. So, yeah, a little, little bit of history of, of stop motion there. But after Jurassic gosh, Park came out, gosh. nobody was going to do a stop motion anymore unless it was for, you know, as a, a novelty or something. Um, right. You know, yep. <laughs> okay, well... But, and for me, I, obviously, being into film history and stop-motion history, I can only say it's it's worth watching, at least for anyone you know, who has, has similar interests. But I'll also say I feel like watching it two or three times that I appreciated it more because I saw more the way the story was working and the way some of the dialogue was, you know, foreshadowing something or being very clever or, or whatever, mm. so... um I think it gets better. I'm not going to say it's, it's it's a great film in the sense of all films, but it's a very important and significant film that you're not going to be bored watching.
0: You know? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely fun uh-huh. and visually impressive in in spots. You know, <laughs> like with the stop motion. Yep. And there's there's other stuff too. You know, there some of the sets aren't bad. You know, like the temple interior and others. You know, there's there's various stuff that's good about it. I mean, oh, and you yeah, know how, how they did just... the,
1: if you're thinking of the um, uh, Mount Olympus, you know, that's like a painting, right? They just, it's one of those uh, map painting things where. Oh, right. You know, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I
0: was, I was thinking more of like uh, uh, Hecate's Temple in, uh, you know, the last mm-hmm. location they mm-hmm. visit, but uh but yeah, that's uh, old emphasis was good too.
1: Well, and that's it is now a lost skill, right? Because you don't really need it anymore. But again, they were using it all the way up to Star Wars. I mean, there's some amazing map paintings um, mm-hmm. in Star Wars, and it's just amazing what they got away with, uh, you know. And even some. Um, Old like Hitchcock films and stuff where you'd be like looking at the you know um the creepy house or whatever, and you have no idea <laughs> it's just amazing to me, and I'd like to experiment with this sometime just to understand it and talk about it, but that literally they're filming through a piece of glass where the entire top half of the screen is just painted, and you can't tell right it just looks oh, yeah. real that's how good those artists were.
0: Ah. I could put my second Holy Grail reference in in the same podcast episode because <laughs> I you reminded me talking about the matte paintings of that scene where they uh where they're like Camelot Camelot <laughs> one of them says it's only immortal <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh okay, yeah well that's
1: our first like say and who knows maybe with one of our other Trouton movies we can find something he's more significant in it's just for his as well respected as he was and as, for as good as an actor as he was, it's just the things I find tend to have him being, you know, these very small characters. Although I think he, you know, he does a good job. He plays uh, a, an important character, um, even though he's only in the movie for a couple of minutes. Um, oh yeah.
0: Yeah. He's, uh, he's got the, he's got the info that Jason needs. And, uh, and now I want to see, uh joaquin Phoenix in the uh, <laughs> the Patrick Troughton story,
1: yeah <laughs> yeah you know, I can
0: see that I
2: can see that
1: okay, well, next up we're gonna do some uh host choices and uh then our our next uh set of Kurosawa films, and then we will be back to the next season of Troughton yeah, so uh see you next week, <laughs> all right. The Argonauts, the mightiest band of warriors the world has ever known. Jason and the Argonauts, a classic adventure story brought to the screen through the incredible special effects magic of Dynorama. Jason and the Argonauts, the search that became a legend.